You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Well, take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. Ephesians 4. I sure am excited to be here. Uh, I am just so humbled to have this opportunity tonight uh, to be in the place that I am uh, with you people. And I mean that from the depths of my heart. Thank the Lord uh, every day. And it's kind of cool. I got in a conversation with a guy at work the other day. And, uh, you know, he was talking about, you know, yeah, just churches don't realize how much pastors do and they, they expect blah, blah, you know, and just whatever, you know. And he was talking about the way churches can be toward pastors. And I'm like, yeah. That's not the way our church is, though, you know. And Amen. even uh, might have been the same conversation, or just seemed like right after that, I was having a conversation with somebody else. Uh, oh, as my neighbor, I think his dad was a pastor of some sort, and he said, uh, he's like, yeah, you know, you just there's the old thing. He didn't say this, but the way what he was saying was uh, how that in most churches, ten percent of the people do ninety percent of the work. Ten percent of the people do ninety percent of the work. Is kind of what they say, uh, but uh, but I'm like, yeah, our church isn't that way either, you know. So we just have a great group of people that believe in what God's doing there, and it's just really cool. And 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 that really lends itself to this uh, uh, message and the lesson out of these verses, which is pretty cool for me to be talking about something that's related to what I'm about to be talking about. But uh, Ephesians 4, and I want to begin reading in verse number 7. Well, it starts with a but. So let's uh, let's start back here and just start with verse 1. Uh, I therefore, Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the of the spirit and the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of christ wherefore he saith When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above uh, the heavens that he might fill all things. Uh, I'm going to go back to verse 8 because when there's parentheses, I like to read it with parentheses because God put it there for a reason. But at the same time, just to keep the thought, sometimes I like to skip uh, the parenthetical there. Uh, So verse 8, Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Uh, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we'll uh, stop reading right there. We're going to talk, we've been talking about unity throughout this chapter, uh, and tonight we're going to talk about gifts for unity. Uh, I'm glad that uh, God gifts His people, and I'm looking around at a lot of gifted people tonight, whether you realize it or not. And one of the great things 
about spiritual gifts is that, uh, yeah, you may not feel like you're gifted in any area whatsoever, but if you're saved, you have a spiritual gift. You have at least one, uh, and, uh, and arguably uh, more than that. And so he, he goes from what, what all Christians have in common when he's talking about one faith, one God, one body, and so forth, uh, to how Christians differ from each other. He's discussing variety and individuality within the unity of the Spirit. And, I, and of course, that's, we talked about that as we went through this. I'm so glad that we don't all have to be exactly the same, Amen. right? Uh, we can be different, and it's a good thing that we are different. And it's, uh, you know, there's a, we've said it just about every lesson in these first, uh, this first part of Ephesians 4, how that there's a difference between unity and uniformity. Uh, and that's, I think there's a lot of well-intentioned people that really try to push uniformity, uh, that it's got to look just like this. Uh, and you've got to be just like this. But God says, no, it's unity. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a symphony, you know. It's, it's, it's a variety. There's uh, variation. Man, God's a God of variety. Uh, God's a God of, uh, you know, a multifaceted. And, it, and it's all these things that work and move together uh, that, that real beauty uh, comes from. And so uh, that's what he begins to talk about here. So he begins to talk about these spiritual gifts. Um, I want to take some time at some point to go more in depth on spiritual gifts because I know, uh, and it hasn't been, I, I, you know, in the big scheme of things, it hasn't been too long since I preached about spiritual gifts. But when I say it's been a couple years, then obviously it's been a while. But when you've got this big Bible and all the stuff covered in there, uh, there's a lot to cover. But I do uh, like uh, people learning about their spiritual gifts and incorporating their spiritual gifts. And one of the cool things about spiritual gifts is sometimes people will be using their spiritual gifts within the body of Christ, within the local church, and not even realize it. Uh, they're just doing what comes natural to them. Or, 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 and what they don't realize is perhaps is what's what comes supernatural to them. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time. This is not going to be a study uh, into uh, an in-depth study into spiritual gifts by any means because we're, we're going to stick mostly with what Ephesians is telling us about these spiritual gifts. Uh, but if you're interested in studying this further, uh, you'd need to go to 1 Corinthians 12 verses 1 through 12 and he introduces these spiritual gifts. Um, and this gift, as you see, if you go down to verse number 12, what is the purpose for these gifts? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. In other words, the maturing, the completion, the, uh, the, the bringing us about to uh, that which God's started in us, uh, to, uh, that, it'll, that Christ will perform it to the day of redemption, but that's partly through us ministering spiritual gifts one to another. So for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building up. For the building up. <laughs> you can mark this down. Spiritual gifts never tear down. Nobody has been given the spiritual gift of, uh, of uh, sowing discord or anything, right? <laughs> Nobody's been given the spiritual gift of being ugly uh, and being mean. And, I, and, you know, I've met some preachers through the years, and I used to idolize some of them, you know, and I thought, man, what a gift to be as mean as they are, you know, and just <laughs> as obnoxious and whatever. And, uh, and, but uh, but but that being said, I know that there's uh, definitely different personalities and different presentations there. Once again, God uses variety. But I'm saying that it's for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, edifying, building up. Sometimes you got to clear out some clutter before you build up, don't you? Uh, sometimes there's some crumbling foundation that has to be moved out of the way in order to lay a good foundation. And we understand all of that. But for the edifying of the body. Um, now. There needs to be made a distinction, and I've, I've mentioned it a little bit already, but between spiritual gifts and natural gifts. Um, now, some, there are times that 
God made that, that the two will kind of run together. In other words, you get a person that is just uh, naturally talkative and comfortable talking. And then God, uh, you know, gives that person the gift of evangelism or calls that person to be a pastor or something to that effect. Uh, but there's natural. And, and by the way, when we talk about natural abilities and natural gifts, those are a gift from God as well. To all men, I mean, people are gifted. Uh, but when it comes to spiritual gifts, this this gift is meant to help people in a spiritual sense to where, you know, these other gifts, you know, there's, you know, we've got people that's just seem to be so gifted in our family with, uh, with the arts and creativity and some of these things. And, um, you know, those, those are natural abilities that can be turned and used into spiritual gifts. But when you're born into this world, everyone was given certain abilities, uh, you know, and you know, there, there, there's people, man, that just, you, you give a, you throw a wrench in their hand and they can just about take anything apart, put it back together, uh, make something, make it even better than it was before. Uh, you know, isn't it cool? I mean, I'm sure there's many of us that have known people that didn't have hardly any education, if any at all, you know, a generation before perhaps that didn't even finish uh, elementary school, but son, you put an engine of any sort in front of them, anything mechanical, and they're going to do it better than anybody you've ever seen. It's just amazing. Mechanical abilities uh, that people may be born with, uh, art, athletics, uh, music. Uh, we could go on and on, but in this regard, uh, you could say that all men are not created equal. There are some people that are much more talented and have natural, these other gifts more than others. Uh, because some people are smarter, some are stronger, some are more talented than others. But in the spiritual realm, again, each believer has at least one spiritual gift, and no matter what natural abilities he may or may not possess, uh, we have a spiritual gift uh, that God has given us. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and believers are edified. So Christ is glorified, believers are edified or built up. You know, edified comes from the word we, uh, you know, that's the same uh, root word that, 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 like an edifice, you know, a great edifice, a great structure, a great high building. And so we edify, we build one another up. And that's what spiritual gifts uh, are meant to do. So, and if you want to get, a, I mentioned 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 12, but uh, you could just go ahead and read 12, 13, and 14. Um, and they all go together there. And I'll, I'll mention some of these other ones uh, perhaps here in just a little bit because there's other places where spiritual gifts are mentioned. Now, the first thing he talks about in verse number seven, he says this, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So it's interesting that first of all, he talks about grace that he gives us to accompany these gifts that he gives us. First, he gives us grace uh, to, to accompany the gifts. Now, the way, how is it that a believer, because there's a lot of Christians that have the question, how can I discover my gift? And I'm telling you, uh, and I understand this as well, I've, I, have, I don't think I've ever once talked about spiritual gifts to where there wasn't at least one person sitting there saying, uh-uh, I don't care what you say. I do not have a spiritual gift. Just don't have it. Don't possess it. Uh, you know, because I think most of the time, sadly, it's not taught on that much, or if it's taught on, maybe it's taught on uh, in a perverse when I mean perverses and twisting the, the true meaning of what spiritual gifts are, uh, perverting the doctrine of it. Um, and, uh, or sometimes people think only of spiritual gifts as being something 
They think of preaching and they think of teaching and they think of singing and they don't realize all the behind the scenes and all the supportive gifts that come into this as well. And there's many of them. Uh, and uh, but, but everyone has these gifts, but God gives us grace. And so he assures us of these. And, and the reason I say he gives us grace is because, again, one of the cool things about spiritual gifts, natural gifts and natural abilities... There's people with natural abilities as they, they have these gifts, they have these abilities, and some of them know it. And some of them will let you know it. Uh, right? I mean, there's a lot of pride, there's a lot of boasting in this natural ability. And I don't think there's room for that, even, even if you have a natural ability or natural gift. Uh, I mean, really? What are you bragging about exactly? Uh, you know, you, what did you do exactly to make yourself this way? You know, it's it, it, it's really a gift from God, but it's a common thing uh, for people that are more gifted than the next person to make sure that uh, they make it known that they're more gifted than other people. When it comes to spiritual gifts, we're giving grace. Why? To remind us that no matter what gift God gives us, man, it's just a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Um, so... Uh, he gives us grace to accompany these gifts, and then he assures us of these gifts. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 8, Wherefore he saith. And I just got to stop right there. What do you think the wherefore he saith? Uh, when you read that, it's actually referencing the Old Testament. And if you were to read Psalm 68 verse 18, you would uh, find where he saith this, where the psalmist prophetically said this. And... He was directly writing about Moses in the context. But prophetically, clearly, uh, it was also uh, pertaining to the Lord Jesus Christ. A really cool thing about this verse, Psalm 68, verse 18, where it says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Uh, the cool thing about that is, is that um, the Jews would sing that psalm uh, in their celebrations around uh, the Feast of Pentecost. You know, so it wasn't just the day of Pentecost. There was the Feast of Pentecost, and that's why it was on Pentecost when they were celebrating this. Um, but it's pretty cool that the Jews actually sang that song in relation to Pentecost. You say, why is that so cool exactly? Because it was on the day of Pentecost uh, that during the Feast of Pentecost and on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit of God was given. And, uh, of course, uh, it's through the Holy Spirit of God that we have these gifts. And so it's just a, a neat uh, thing there. But so there's the Old Testament promise of Psalm 68, verse 18, these gifts that are assured. But then there's also the New Testament proof. Now, verses 9 and 10 introduce us uh, parenthetically to something that you don't hear a lot about. And notice what it says here in verse 9. Now that he ascended, what is it that what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all, all heavens that he might fill all things. So this New Testament promise or the, the Old Testament promise, the New Testament proof. Um, this it's a pretty cool thing, but just listen to me for a second because there are some of you that this may be the first time that you ever hear this. That in the Old Testament, when people died, when the righteous died, they did not enter heaven as we know it today. 
They did not enter heaven as we know it today. And, and we believe, you know, when you correlate Hebrews and, and all that, that the fact that although Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that since in time Jesus had not shed his blood uh, and paid the price of redemption and hadn't yet resurrected, that those souls of Abraham, Isaac, you know, Adam, uh, Abel, Seth, Noah, uh, on down the line, all of those men went to the heart of the earth. Um, and this is a small reference to that. Uh, there's another reference. Uh, well, if we did it in order, I guess we would start in Luke 16. Uh, and you don't have to turn there. I'm not turning there. I'm just kind of uh, paraphrasing a little bit here. Uh, but if, if you go to Luke 16, that's the story of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man goes, and the Bible says he died, and he lift up his eyes in hell, being in torments. Uh, but the Bible says Lazarus died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Into Abraham's bosom. All right? So Abraham's bosom is Abraham's chest. The idea is, is that he got a big old hug from Abraham when he got there, wherever this was. Uh, but it was referred to as Abraham's bosom. Interestingly enough, the Jewish writers of, uh, of, the, of, of this time would often refer to this place as Abraham's bosom. So that's what they called uh, the place in the heart of the earth. But if you read Luke 16, it's kind of, um, it sounds really weird yeah, because we think of dying and going to heaven. And that's, by the way, everyone since the resurrection of Christ, if they're saved, when they die, they go to heaven uh, to be where the Lord is and where he dwells. But prior to the resurrection, that was not the case. They went to a place, and in Luke 16, it was a place in the heart of the earth. It was a place that, that you could see from hell. You could see from the literal fiery burning hell because uh, the rich man was over to, over, able to look over there, and he actually said, uh, Abraham, could you send the rich man, or we couldn't, sorry, uh, could you send Lazarus over with, uh, to dip you know, his finger in water uh, and, and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame? So they, they were separated by a gulf. Okay, so that's the first mention that we have in the New Testament that I'm aware of, of this place called Paradise or Abraham's bosom. Uh, Luke 23, verse 43, what did Jesus tell the thief on the cross? Today, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. He was not referring to heaven. He was referring to the heart of the earth, uh, to where all the saints were at. Now, when I say that it was uh, hell was their neighbor, they had a bad neighborhood, I guess, right across the gulf. But paradise uh, was called paradise for a reason. Uh, it was, uh, I'm sure it doesn't compare to heaven, but it was still a great place. And uh, so, this, today shalt thou be, thou be with me in paradise. And then also, in, in 1 Peter, if you want to you know, mark these down, uh, but in 1 Peter 3, 18, 18, 19, and 20, the Bible refers back to the Old Testament and speaks of how that they went to this different place. Um, so, not something that you hear every day, not something that we talk about a whole lot. Uh, however... Um, this place was that this is this is what it was but now um if you could just imagine with me for a little bit so ever since ever since abel ever since abel abel was the first man to to uh die in the bible right the first righteous man to die so ever since abel 
righteous man began to go to this place called paradise. And ever since Abel, can you imagine when Abel came and heard from, say, Noah? Uh, and he, Noah began to give him. But when, when, can you imagine when Enoch arrived? Can you imagine when, uh, when, uh, when, when these other people began to come and say, uh, and, and even give the prophecies about the Lord's coming? And, 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 the, and as, as, as more and more began to be revealed, and I'm just thinking about the, the, the people that began to die during Jesus' day. I can imagine when John the Baptist died and entered into paradise and said, hey, he's here. He's on the earth. He's preaching. I mean, I think about Anna, Anna that was in the temple. I think about Simeon that was in the temple when Jesus was born. You know, I'm going back uh, on that. But then John the Baptist coming down. And can you imagine the excitement that began to feel? I mean, Abraham. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, even going back all the way to the prophecy that was given to Adam. That, the, that his, uh, his heel will bruise the head of Satan. The serpent will bruise his heel, but he will bust the head. He will bruise the head of the serpent of Satan. And all the way up until the time to where Jesus is on the cross and he says, um, you know, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And here comes the thief on the cross into this place uh, with the saints. And all of a sudden he says he is on the cross. He is on his way. He will be here soon. And now there may have been some confusion with some of the people around what was going on there. I don't know their level of understanding in paradise. But I do know this. Uh, when Jesus came, listen, uh, he... He ascended uh, initially. And I believe He initially ascended and presented the blood on the mercy seat in heaven. But He descended to the, low, to the lower parts of the earth and He preached unto these captives. He, they, they celebrated. And He told them all what was going on for those three days. I mean, son, you talk about a party. You talk about a celebration. And uh, I mean, imagine Him saying, I'm Him, here's what's going on. In just three days, folks, we're leaving here. We're pulling out of here. Because He said we're leaving. We're, 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 the, because the reason they died in the first place was because of sin, right? The wages of sin is death. I mean, they're there because of that. The Bible says He led captivity captive. So even though paradise was a great place, uh, it wasn't the ultimate place. And they were no doubt looking forward to leaving. They were captives. But I want you to know something. Jesus showed up with the keys. Because in Revelation chapter number uh, 1 and verse number 18, the Bible says he, uh, he, uh, that He has the, the keys of hell and of death. So He entered with the keys and He exited with those Old Testament saints. So He literally came into paradise with all of those people. And on the third, when, when Jesus Christ resurrected, there's some amazing things went on. And again, these are things we don't hear about a whole lot, but if you read your Bible this year, you're going to read about, uh, especially in the book of Mark, you're going to read about many of the saints that had died previously uh, when Christ was resurrected. These people are walking the streets of Jerusalem, of the area. They were the people that had died previously, but there's this resurrection that takes place, and that's where you read, I think, toward the end of Mark, there's reference to that. And don't ask me to explain a whole lot of it, because I can't do that, but I'm just telling you what happened. Um, and then uh, he, they all went up to heaven together. So he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men, which brings us back into this section. Now, I know you're sitting there with a thousand questions, perhaps, and I probably can't answer most of them. Because uh, probably all I'm going to do is, number one, tell you what I just told you. Because this, I'm telling you what the Bible says. 
Then after that, all we're going to do is say, well, I suppose, yeah, and probably, maybe, possibly. You know, we, uh, there's going, because it's not, there's a lot of speculation uh, that's going to be around it. And so, uh, but, I, but we'll give time for that. Uh, we'll try to make sure that we give time for that here uh, at the end. But, but I encourage you in the meantime to read about it. But here's the thing. What I just told you, I'm pretty sure, is what you're going to find out about it as far as what the Bible says. There may be a few more references in the Old Testament, uh, perhaps. Uh, but one of the things that's, that some people can struggle with about the Bible and about God's revelation uh, is that, Lord, I want to know more. Why didn't you tell me all of it? Why, why, why? You know, and sometimes we get hung up on that. But um, one thing I think of oftentimes is this. Maybe sometimes let's try to get a hold of the stuff that he's clearly revealed to us. Amen. And when you master all of that, when you master all that he has already revealed, uh, then go back and start asking why. Maybe he'll tell you. I don't know. Uh, just because I doubt that you were ever going to master it all. Uh, so I can say it that way. Uh, but uh, that is what's being referred to here. Um, and so, uh, and, and it's a cool picture that God's given here because it's a picture of how that, uh, especially in the Roman Empire, which these people lived in, they could appreciate this terminology because it wasn't uncommon if you'd go defeat another king or another empire, you would bring the slaves, you would bring the king themselves, and, and that's really the reason that even going back to uh, you know, uh, Octavius, the, uh, you know, Caesar Augustus, the original Caesar Augustus, whenever he defeated Mark Antony, Antony and Cleopatra, uh, that's ultimately why Cleopatra ended up uh, uh, ending her life, they believe, is because uh, she tried other things and tried things that Caesar had said positively about her alliance and whatnot, but ultimately he said no he said you're going to march down the streets of rome uh being drugged or being tied up as a captive uh, to celebrate my victory over egypt and over your kingdom and so that's what they would do is they'd come and parade them uh but th that that's kind of the picture that's given here but in this particular uh, idea jesus is rescuing captives and he's leading them out and he's bestowing upon them gifts uh after the resurrection uh, and, and, and I do want to say one more thing before I move on from this because, again, we'll uh, open up for questions after this, and I hope you can listen to what, what the rest of what I've got to say uh, and not get too hung up. But that I'd want to say this very, very clearly. Anyone that dies today, the Bible says to be absent from bodies to be present with the Lord. Amen. If you're saved by God's grace, the moment you close your eyes in death, you open up your eyes in heaven. Amen. Amen. So uh, you can know that. All right. Uh, I might not be able. To, you might not be able to understand and know everything about this whole paradise thing, but you can know that if you died today, if you're saved, you're going to heaven. And you can also know that if you die without Christ, you would immediately open up your eyes in a place called hell. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so that's very clear. Um, uh, but he uh, ascended on high. He, but but first he descended. It says so. The New Testament proof, and then also. The, so we see the gifts uh, given, we see the gifts assigned. Look at verses 11 through 13. Uh, the Bible says, and he gave some apostles. And we're just going to look at, we'll break it down as we go along, but this is interesting. Now, I mentioned to you some other places where you can read about spiritual gifts. Um, another area you could read about spiritual gifts is in Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. Romans 12, 3 through 8. 
so study these gifts, and uh, but be sure you pay attention to this next little section that we have here as we talk about these spiritual gifts, because it should help uh, help in our level of understanding if we understand some of these important facts here. Now, um, these lists in 1 Corinthians and Romans highlight gifts that are bestowed on believers. Gifts that are bestowed on believers. But if you read this section, it's a little bit different. It's apostles, it's prophets, it's uh, evangelists, it's pastors and teachers. Now those are gifts that he bestows on believers, but here it seems to be an emphasis on gifted believers being bestowed upon the church. So most of these other sections deal just in general with the gifts that are bestowed on believers. This section is speaking more to gifted believers that are being bestowed upon the church. When we think about these gifts, he's think I mean, apostles, prophets, uh, uh, you know, pastors, teachers, evangelists. These are all very foundational, as we'll see just here in a moment. Uh, when we when we look at apostles and prophets, mark this down. Apostles and prophets were foundational and unique to the early church. Foundational and unique to the holy church. Now when you look up the words, the the meaning of the word apostle, the meaning of the word prophet, uh, more so with the word apostle, it's one who is sent with the commission. In that sense, we're all apostles. But in the sense when you begin reading about Jesus referring to the apostles, these the commission, the main thing they were sent forth, their commission was to bear witness of the resurrection of Christ. Which you could argue, is that not what we're doing? Yeah, but they saw it. They were eyewitnesses. You said, what about the Apostle Paul? Was he an eyewitness? Yeah, because the resurrected Christ appeared to him uh, on uh, the road to Damascus. And, uh, you know, so he saw the resurrected Christ. He was called to be an apostle. Um, Now, when we think about this, he selected 12 apostles. There's arguably some secondary apostles, the the Barnabases and uh, Silas's, some of these, uh, perhaps. But the 12 apostles, they were were to give witness of the resurrection. You can read that in Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. And therefore, they had to have seen the risen Christ personally, and there, there are no apostles today in the strictest New Testament sense. There's no apostles today. Uh, these men helped lay the foundation of the church. Um, Ephesians 2.20 says, speaks of the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. The people that we have do our concrete may not be the same people we come have do our lights uh, and do the painting and, do, and, and finish the roof. Uh, there, there, there are some people that come in and they do the foundational work. And that's what the, pro, the apostles and prophets did. Once the foundation was laid, they were no longer needed. God authenticated their ministry with special miracles. We read this in Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. So we should not demand these same miracles today. Uh, In a broad sense, like I said, we all have an apostolic ministry, if you will. But he says, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Uh, But to claim to be an apostle, uh, 
That would be that we had the same authority as the Apostle Paul in that sense, or Peter, or any of the rest of them, and we just do not have that today. We don't have that same purpose today. And if you hang with me, I'm going to tell you why these were foundational and why we don't need them as much today. But first, I'm going to talk about the prophets a little bit. Now, we commonly associate a prophet with, predi with the predictions of future events. You know, it, it's it's a, it's a ironic thing to me that you know when you think when some people think of a of a prophet uh, like a you know in recent as in the last several hundred years a lot of people think of Nostradamus. If Nostradamus claimed to be a prophet in Bible times, he'd have been stoned because <laughs> there's only a few of his things that may have come to pass. You know, but that's really neither here nor there. But here's one thing to understand: there was foretelling of future events, especially with the Old Testament prophets. But with the New Testament prophets, as well as the Old Testament prophets, but especially the New Testament prophets, their primary function was to proclaim the Word of God. Now, consider the scenario that the early church was in. There's a, there's a few things to consider about the early church in relation to spiritual gifts. Okay, for one thing, we talked about this when we studied the book of Galatians. Think of the challenge it was when... God was changing from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. So in other words, you had people that were worshiping in a certain way and they were following the Word of God in doing so. Actually, those that were following the Word of God were very few and far between. There were so many traditions and everything else that got tacked on by that time. Uh, but uh, to, to tell them, okay, now God's doing something different. Well, the Bible says the Jews require a sign. And you can never forget about that because many of those early signs, the tongues, the and we talk about tongues, they were languages that were understood by someone that was in the audience. Uh, uh, the, the, the languages that were given, the fact, I mean, listen, people would, people would drag out their sick into the street for when Peter walked by because his shadow would touch them and they'd be healed. I don't know anybody like that today. You know, oh, we got old apostle so-and-so coming, you know. Uh, well, I don't want to be nowhere near his shadow just in case the lightning strikes, you know. Um, and so, but, 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 but that, that's the kind of power they, what all, that was all signs. But if you read the book of Acts, you see fewer and fewer signs being manifested as they go more and more to the Gentiles. Because he was given signs as a courtesy to the Jews, miracles, because really, even when we studied the dispensations, God would do some pretty miraculous things at the start of a new dispensation even. Uh, but, and it was, it was no different uh, here. But there's something else too. Think about those that were saved, both Jews and Gentiles within the church. They possessed the Old Testament, but they did not possess the New Testament, did they? They didn't possess the New Testament. So the, the function of a prophet, of a New Testament prophet, would have been more along the lines to reveal the truth of God's Word to them. It would have been pretty awesome to hear, but if we could go back and listen to the recordings of these New Testament prophets, I think most of those have been destroyed and lost, but if you could go back and hear the recordings... Of these guys, uh, or at least it's really grainy. Uh, no, please don't go looking for those because they really don't exist. But I'm telling you, I, I really believe. Without, I, I believe what the Bible's telling us is is that you would get what we have today. Amen. That's right. If you could listen to a New Testament prophet, Amen. they did not have the New Testament. So God gifted apostles, and then He gifted prophets to reveal the truths of the New Testament. And that's why you know chapter 13 talks about how that when uh, that which is 
perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. Amen. And so uh, they, uh, they, they, had, they needed the knowledge of the New Testament immediately. God fixed that by giving prophets in the church. But once the New Testament came, well, we didn't need that anymore. And we don't need that anymore. Now, don't get too offended if you begin to read some old authors or even if you, if you just happen to be listening to a, a preacher and they say, oh, you know, brother so-and-so, you know, Percy Ray's a good example. Uh, per, well, Percy Ray, that, and, and I'm sorry, he's a, he's a preacher that, uh, that Kurt and I both know as well as Michael, a few of us. But anyway, uh, we don't know him now. He's in heaven. But anyway, and I never met him. But anyway, um, there's people that would say, oh, that old prophet of God, Percy Ray, that old prophet. Well, don't get too upset. They're not saying, I don't know, some of them may be, but uh, usually people aren't saying that he is, man, he's just a blast from the New Testament. He's got the, usually it's just a, a it's a manner of speaking, okay? Because uh, I've read books like that and they'll refer to somebody as the old prophet, you know, and the prophet stood to preach and, and it's just a manner of speaking. They're not, uh, but uh, that being said, there are some people that try to get, be, claim themselves to be prophets. And here's, here's the dandy thing about being a, a prophet in 2019. You get to make up your own stuff and expect people to do it and believe it. And that's not really dandy as far as I'm concerned, but I think as far as they're concerned, it's pretty dandy. Uh, they, they, they've got these new revelations. Well, we don't need a new revelation. We've got, we've got the revelation that's still working. Amen? And that's what you get with these modern-day apostles. And, you know, I shared with you, I mean, just as serious could be, a fellow I work with, and just, I mean, it's heartbreaking. Just a sincere, good old boy, uh, just really a good fella. But as he just tells me, as serious as he can be about an apostle, I believe it was, that he went and heard preach and passed out while he was preaching on stage and woke up a little bit later and said that he had just traveled to China to preach in the streets of China and win some people to the Lord and came back and started preaching again in South Dakota. And we just, I just got through saying to him, well, I, what we believe is based on the Word of God. We don't use emotions. We don't use experiences. We don't use traditions. We believe, oh, yeah, yeah, we're the same way. Yeah. That's just like old so-and-so. And I'm like, anyway, it's sad. It really is. But that's what people are taught. Um, so... Uh, so when we think about this, we see this uh, example uh, given. Uh, then, then real quickly, I will give you uh, uh, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and try to be uh, done with this. But uh, evangelists, this is a still a spiritual gift. I do believe, and especially in the context of this, that this may refer more to preachers. Uh, it's interesting. The Bible says in Second Timothy. Chapter 4, verse 5, Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And we should be evangelistic, but not every preacher is an evangelist. Even though every preacher should do the work of an evangelist. I believe personally that the, that the gift of an evangelist is not restricted to the pulpit. I believe that there are uh, other Christians within the church that may never stand to preach that are given the gift of evangelism. Uh, they're, they're soul winners. Soul winners. Now, we're all... and That's one of the things you'll find out about a lot of the spiritual gifts. There's, there's, a, lot of these, there's a lot in common. We all ought to be winning souls. So we don't just say, well, I'm not a soul winner, so I'm just leaving that to so-and-so. No, uh, we all ought to be praying. Every one of us ought to have a goal to lead at least one person to the Lord this year. I mean, at the bare minimum, one person to the Lord this year, disciple that person this year. Or lead a person to the Lord, disciple another person, and, and hopefully disciple that. But that ought to be on the, on the radar. But there's just some people that are gifted at it. Yes, sir. 
Could you contrast uh, uh, evangelist versus evangelical? Just oh, okay, very good. Yeah, that is often uh, confused. Uh, this isn't the yeah, an, an evangelical uh, versus an evangelist. Um, well, I've told you what an evangelist is. Uh, and by the way, sometimes in, in our modern day vernacular, sometimes we just call a preacher that travels around and preaches an evangelist. Uh, that's become a moniker. But in, in the true sense of the word, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, because there's preachers that don't have that gift. Uh, an evangelical, that's, that's a little bit more of a modern term. Uh, and uh, how in the heck would you describe it? Did I just say that out loud? Um, but basically, that's, that's a modern term, and it usually refers to... Um, you know, more New Testament type churches um, and so forth. But it's not the same thing. So you can uh, be sure to have that in your mind. I'll have a better answer for that later. Uh, but the bottom line is, I believe that some people are given that gift. Uh, and this was kind of a cool thing too, in the context of preachers. I've seen this to be true. I read this today and thought it was interesting. But they had mentioned how that, uh, that some evangelists uh, may not have the most depth in the world what they're preaching and teaching, you know. And it's one advantage, like, you know, some pastors can be envious of the evangelist. Why? Because the evangelist comes in and he preaches maybe five to seven messages, you know. I mean, that's probably at the most. He comes in and preaches five and... What's he coming and preaching? He preaches, comes and preaches his five and seven best messages, amen. And so everybody loves the evangelist. Man, he's exciting. He wasn't talking about paradise and Abraham's bosom and all that business, man. He was up there, you know. And, and sometimes there's been, there may not be as much depth. There may be, you, you, as, as a preacher sometimes, or even as a Bible student, some of you may sit and listen to an evangelist and say, wait, he, st- he started in the Bible, but now, you know, it's, it's a lot of times, and that's not to say that evangelists aren't deep, but a lot of times they have a different way of doing things. There's, there, there may be more in the way of charisma and catching people's attention, and, uh, and, and sometimes there may be even be some of that more brash and more in your face because God just uses different people in different ways. Um, but uh, but it, but it's it, it's just a different gift. Uh, but so that's the gift of evangelism. I do again want to emphasize that I believe that there are Christ there, there there are people that aren't preachers that have that gift, the gift of soul winning. Man, they just lead people to the Lord. Yeah. That we, we all have, all had a, should have a desire to do it, but they just have a, seem to have a knack for being able to get people to church and lead people to the Lord, and it's a pretty cool thing. And then lastly, is pastors and teachers. Um, and I believe that these are both, I believe these are together. Notice it says pastor and teachers. Now, there's a gift of teaching. Uh, man, some people can just teach, man. There's some of you that have the gift of teaching, and it's, 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 a, it's fun to watch. Um, but you can teach without preaching. But you're not doing much preaching if you're not teaching. Yeah. If you're not preaching and you're teaching, teaching and you're preaching, you're probably not doing much preaching. Uh, you know, so you, you can teach without preaching, but it's hard to preach without teaching. But it says pastors and teachers. Because you think about the word pastor, what's the term pastor mean? Shepherd. Guiding the sheep. Leading the sheep. Trying to feed the sheep. Uh, You know, I mean, but caring for the flock. Leading the flock. Elder is another, uh, is synonymous with pastor or shepherd. Um, And so, uh, again, this, this the shepherd does by the means of the word of God. The food that nourishes the sheep. The word is the staff that guides the sheep. Uh, and also the word can discipline the sheep. 
In other words, the Word is put out there and God will use it to convict our hearts and sometimes help us get on the right track and everything. And so uh, the Word of God is the local church's protection and provision. The Word of God is our staff and our shield. Uh, or I'm sorry, our, uh, uh, the, the rod and the staff oftentimes. Um, but it's through, it, there's no amount of entertainment, good fellowship, or other religious substitutes that can take the place of the Word of God. Uh, there's no leader that can take the place, that has great charisma, that can take the place of God's Word. It's God's Word that's going to matter. So you can see a little bit of difference here. These are all spiritual gifts that we mention. But here he's talking about the foundational purposes of the unity because he's talking about one God, one faith, and all of these things. The, the, the building of our unity and the binding of our unity is on the Word of God. But there's one thing that I'd like to say uh, more about the, these guys that are in leadership. Again, the apostles and prophets, no more. Evangelists, pastors and teachers are still with us. Um, but one of the cool things, and, 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 and another, do you know another New Testament term for a pastor is a bishop? Is it bishop? Uh, which carries the idea of an overseer, which carries the idea, you, you can see it tied into a, uh, a shepherd or the under-shepherd. But I, I read something really, really cool. I believe it was this morning. I thought it was so good. Uh, it taught, I, I'm reading a book on, an old book on leadership. It's actually a series of lectures on leadership from many years ago. Oswald Chambers, Spiritual Leadership. I uh, recommend it. It's really good. But one of the things he uh, had mentioned there, he talked about as many leaders as God has called and used throughout the years, you would think that you may read the, the term or the word leader or leadership a little more often in the Bible. And, uh, and I haven't researched this, but if I remember right, he said it was mentioned nine times in some form or the other. In the whole yeah. Hmm. But he said the terms that are used is this. Think about this. Moses, my servant. David, my servant. Jesus came as the great example. And the one time that He gave them a, uh, a public display of what it meant to lead, He showed them what it meant to serve. And the Lord Jesus Christ washed the feet of the apostles. So God's form of leadership is serve. Serve. You know, and, and that's one of the cool things that we can never lose sight of. It's not about being some hot shot that's calling the shots. You know, thank God for men like uh, you know G General Patton and and everything. But man, listen, uh, that's we don't need General Patton. Patton. We we need them leading our armies, but we don't need them pastoring our churches. Not to say that somebody with his personality can, but he still needs to have a servant attitude about it, and uh, and and so forth, and so. That ought to be uh, the approach of all who would aspire to be a leader. If you want to be a leader, serve. Jesus said, the greatest among you is going to be he that serves. Uh, serve one another. He said, if you want to really be great, serve everybody. Be a slave to all, he said. Uh, be a servant to all. So um, anyway, uh, so the gifts of unity. God gives us gifts and gives us gifted people to help us uh, in the unity. I'm, I, thank God for, uh, I thank God for the apostles, the prophets, uh, the evangelists, uh, and the pastors and the teachers. I don't know where I'd be today. Obviously, going all the way back to the prophets and apostles giving us the Word of God, uh, the evangelists that we hear that, that challenge our hearts, and the pastors and teachers that feed us and lead us uh, in the Word of God. So.